He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, he's outspoken. You will tell your kids, and your grandkids, and your great, great grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise, and he was the greatest world heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas, and you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. coming, motherfucker. See, one thing I specialized my whole career, whether north or south or right here, I've known when to cross over the fucking line. Hey, Justin, there's a fucking line, motherfucker, right in the middle of the ring. If you're man enough, step the fuck over it. to it right now and this is the triple threat podcast that you're listening to here on the two-man power trip of wrestling podcasting empire and i can't believe we're going to say this but we're over the hill welcome to episode number 40 if you didn't know by now my name is chad and as always i'm joined on the two-man power trip by my tag team partner the one and only john paz and on this show our other tag team partner, the third man in this team, he is the man behind the triple threat, the one and only franchise, Shane Douglas. Shane, welcome to episode number 40. Man, I'm busted at the seams, not just because it's the big 4-0, because I've been well past that, but because we're going to have one of the ECW originals on, the first ever live guest on the Triple Threat podcast. I'm thrilled and, and busting at the seams. I can't wait. Let's get right into it, guys. That's right, and joining us here on the Triple Threat Podcast for our first ever live guest. Now, we teased it last week, 
And I think uh, anybody who was listening thought it might have been somebody else the way we were building it up. But we are absolutely thrilled to be joined by our good friend, and I can say that very happily, the one and only just incredible PJ. Thank you so much for coming on with us on the Triple Threat Podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me, man. It's uh, it's you know really cool. Uh, Forty episodes. That's awesome. Um, you know, I've listened listened to the show before. You guys do a hell of a job, and uh, I'm just happy to be on here and uh, you know speak about what goes on in life and uh, in the square circle and what happened 20 years ago and all that other good stuff. <laughs> but on the rabbit hole, you know. <laughs> Well, and this show, we definitely go down a lot of rabbit holes, and obviously we've talked about you yeah. many, many times in this show, whether we're talking about your wards with Shane or whether we're talking about two uh, young green kids carrying around your bags uh, at different independent <laughs> shows and conventions. We, uh, we talk yeah. about you a lot with great pride, but we're, uh, we're just so happy to have you on to talk about your, uh, your current project, your documentary that you have coming about. So yes. before we get into all the, uh, the good times and all the fun times with Shane, Kind of tell us a little bit about this documentary, PJ, and what you've got working in the uh, in the old can here. You've been working your ass off on this project for the last couple of months. Uh, I really have, and uh, really uh, this whole thing, uh, that, old, that old cliche of uh, you know something uh, something good came out of something bad, uh, really is what happened here. Um, quick, uh, I don't want to get into it too much because it's just boring and redundant. But a uh, quick backtrack. Uh, Last year, uh, I went into inpatient treatment uh, through the WWE Wellness uh, Program. Uh, horrible alcoholic, full-blown, really, I mean, on the verge of death. Not even drum, over-drunk, just really bad. Mm. Um, went down there in July, did the 30-day program, came right back home. They paid for aftercare, uh, therapy, psychology, all this other stuff. Uh, and about uh, things were going good, you know, uh, uh, December 1st, I had a little hiccup, uh, a couple of days went by, I didn't do anything. And then I'd have a couple of pops or something. Uh, and then, you know, one other day I had a show, uh, just an appearance really. And, um, you know, I was just uh, a little too much and just, you know, uh, when, you know, it's not alcohol turns on you. Uh, I'm not one of those guys that obviously can control anything and, uh, just, uh, made a fool of myself. Uh, woke up the next day to you know how things are today. Everything viral. Uh, you know the news went viral. A couple of days later, uh, Dallas Page calls me, asking if I'm all right, what's going on, and um, I said, you know, I told him what happened. I explained it to him, and uh, and he said, well, the craziest thing happened. Um, you know, this guy, uh, this guy Douglas Cartelli, and uh, you know he's a multi-millionaire owns a concrete structure a conglomerate makes buildings all over the world uh wants to start investing in production and you know producing movies and uh, so it got together with a group of people uh that actually make films uh, director producer that have made you know actually films that are being made and put out today with a lot of guys that you know like Chas Palminteri uh Burt Young from Rocky um, you know, the list goes on and on. Theo Rosie from, uh, what's that, Sons of Anarchy. Uh, Chuck Zito, actually, in the, in the different project, I'm doing a prison scene with him. He's worked with Kevin Nash, uh, Steve Austin, Dallas Page. So it's, it's kind of on the B-movie side of the the production company thing. But uh, they were interested in doing a documentary uh, on my life. Uh, 
with Dallas's involvement. Uh, something a little similar, but very different from the Jake uh, documentary because really two different situations completely. And, um, you know, um, so we just, I said, sure. Uh, they offered to, you know, give me an opportunity to, to put some money in my pocket uh, on a weekly basis. Um, and uh, we've just been shooting this thing, and uh, we're probably going to be wrapping very soon um, after WrestleMania. You know, we're still in production um, of the, the trailer that's out. is just a little snippet, really, of uh, what we've done. And a lot of, you know, when you do these things, you realize, you know, it's it's a lot harder than it looks um, because <laughs> you really you really don't have a camera on you 24 hours a day. But uh, you do catch a lot of the stuff that you don't like, or things aren't a good look for you, and uh, you got to be there on the editing room floor to, and you got to trust the people that you're working with that, you know, they're not going to double cross you and uh, make you look, uh, you know, it's a real give and take process. It's an interesting process, great learning experience, and uh, I just hope when it comes out, it's just, uh, you know, uh, it, it's a tale of me. It's not a tale of a wrestler. It's not a wrestling movie. I happen to be a wrestler. Um, it's a tale of addiction uh, that happens to, you know, they say in 10 years, uh, one in 10 people will know somebody directly in our families that have a problem with drugs or alcohol. You know, um, it, it, we waste trillions of dollars, uh, you know, in emergency room visits and, med- you know, just all kinds of bills not being paid and just all uh, just a ton of stuff on, on drugs and alcohol. And we have a huge crisis. People are dying. Kids are dying. It's a huge epidemic. And, um our jail systems are flooded with it, so uh, it's also an education piece, and it's really a, a piece of hope. And you know, it's kind of keeping me sober at the time. It's like uh, it's keeping me accountable. Um, and two, I think a lot of the reasons why I did drink and drug was uh, a lot of disappointments in my life and my career. I just I really wanted to, to do a lot more with my career. And I'll, you know, when when ECW folded, uh, I saw a lot of it go away with my run in WWE and I kind of wasn't in my right mindset at that time either um, and then after you know the big buyout and the, you know I was lucky to be there for a couple of years but really there was no order to work other than TNA which we all know what that was um, and you know uh, my best years where I finally had become somebody that knew how to work and could do something and just never uh, whatever it just uh I think not having a purpose in my life's goals and dreams kind of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the true life Mickey Rourke and the wrestler, you know, and uh, that really is a lot of what this movie shows. I'm a regular guy trying to hustle for regular work and trying to kind of come out of that guy that was somebody in the nineties and to somebody today with a, with a family and, uh, you know, and uh, hopefully it's honest, hopefully it's real and hopefully it's uh it's something that can help others and hopefully it's entertaining. Kind of looking at what the documentary is and the story of redemption and recovery, obviously, you know, if you've seen anything about what your recovery's been and if you saw the viral video, if you followed some of the stories, I mean, you know, you've had your your ups and downs and you're very, very, very open about some of the tribulations that you've gone through. But now having that camera on you 24-7 or almost 24-7, I mean, it's got to be a little bit somewhat prying at times. I know it's a part of the gig, but in that road to redemption or recovery, have there been any times where you just wanted the cameras to go away and you needed that time to be PJ and just kind of unwind because you didn't need that camera in front of you during that one particular instance? There's been times, and I think it's almost uh, a trick 
that uh, you know, I know Paul used to do it a lot of times, um, or I think he, he didn't, maybe he didn't tell you he would do it, but he'd keep you really late uh, for no reason in the middle, you know, till three, three, four in the morning to do promos, uh, you know, in the back of an old building, and you know, sunlight, you know, starting to see uh, sunlight come up. I think he'd do it on purpose to to really either you know to draw something from you emotionally, whether it was anger, exhaustion, frustration. And sometimes you can't fake that. And I think sometimes it's that little uh, cat and mouse game that directors and producers might play with you uh, as well. Because um, really, uh, there is a narrative and a story that we're trying to tell uh, going into it. I mean, you storyboard it like you would storyboard a fictional movie. Um, you know, and you just hope that through what you have and through what you film, you can achieve those things. And if you have to adjust, obviously you, you adjust. But you know, the, the purpose of this thing is to show where I was, what I'm doing now to get better, and the payoff. You know, it's, uh, it, that's the, the storyboard. And now we, how do we get there and how do we make it compelling? Uh, you know, and there's an antagonist and there's, you know, somebody out there that doesn't want me to succeed. And, you know, all this other things, uh, really elements of a regular movie making, which is, is um it's amazing. I never really thought about it that way, even in a, you know, a quote unquote reality based documentary movie. I mean, you know, so, uh, but it, it all goes into play and you know, I just feel bad for the editors chopping up uh, tons of uh, hours and hours worth of BS footage <laughs> that, uh, you know, really is, uh, <laughs> but you know, hopefully, you know, I think we have something really cool, you know, and, and something unique and something that hopefully will connect with the number of people. I know we have, uh, this gentleman's production company that I'm working with right now, David Gear. He's working on a, a movie uh, called The Vault with Don Johnson, uh, Vincent uh, uh, Pastore from uh, Good not Goodfellas, uh, Sopranos. Like I said, Burt Young, a, a bunch of other good actors uh, that are in the movie. I'm going to be in the movie as a, an inmate. I'm going to kill, by the way. But uh, you know, he does he does movies with distributions. Yeah with distributions and platforms to like red, you know, Redbox, Netflix, Amazon, iTunes. There's just so much content now that really is, uh, is needed for these because, you know, things have changed so much with technology and the way we deliver content, uh, the way it was before, um, as a, you know, a traditional movie going on, you know, straight to, straight to DVD or straight to the, you know, the rental movie, you know, the blockbuster. Now it's a whole different uh, game, and they're really looking for anything, um, you know, anything decent they can get their hands on, which gives guys that are into it uh, an upper hand to to make, uh, you know, cool little projects that don't cost a lot of money. Um, I, you know, I think the budget for this thing is slightly under uh, $70,000, you know, and uh, it, it's fairly cheap for a little small independent film. And, uh, you know, hopefully... Uh, you know, it, it does well, and when we when we sell it, uh, you know, everybody gets the points on the movie, and and then you know everybody makes a little money. That's that's just the whole uh, the whole thing, and hopefully it's a good movie. And you know, I could say I did one of those things, and and it helps people. You know, I want to be proud of it. It's uh, it's it, like I said, it kept me accountable, and it's kept me sober, and it's kept me, you know, not broke. You know, that's a trigger too, not having money, not always being. I've had problems with mental health, and I know there's a stigma to that word itself. I don't mean mental health in the way of, uh, you know, in the worst of connotations. I mean, you know, depression and 
anxieties and, you know, a lot of times I think uh, cup half empty. Um, so, you know, me being busy, me starting to, you know, become more active, doing things I love, being creative, feeling useful, providing again, uh, doing the little things that make me happy uh, are really important uh, for my sobriety as well. So, like I said, uh, that screw up, uh, and I never watched it back either. I never bothered because I'm sure it wasn't good. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, from that came something positive, and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens, man. You know, PJ, for me, if I can jump in here for a second, the, 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 everything I hear you saying, I'm beaming right now because to hear you, this reminds me of the Peter Polacco I met God knows how many years ago. Uh, the good kid that was trying to make it in the wrestling business. But to hear that you're willing to take your experience, which most people, me included, whenever I was stuck in that position, uh, was trying to hide it, that you're willing to take that out there to help other people because we all turn on the television and we, we you know, we heard President Trump's speech today and everything else about this. this is a, a massive, massive problem in the country today. And sure. whether you understand it or not, and I'm sure you see some portion of it, but sure. there are a lot of people, uh, an awful lot of people that grew up watching just incredible Peter Polacco, whatever, whatever name you want to put on it. Um, that are in that same situation and, and are as lost as you were or I was trying to figure out how the hell do I get out of this situation. And yeah. I, I see this documentary that you're putting out there as being an immensely uh, positive thing because if it helps one soul, one person, it's been well worth it. And I'm guessing it's going to help a lot more than that, PJ, because – uh, you were an impactful player, no, no pun intended on the on the impact players, but you mm-hmm. were one of the guys that made ECW what it was. And the legend that ECW has become has built been built on the shoulders of guys like you and guys like me that we've all went out there and gone and, and put the extra effort in, and the fans responded to. But millions of them right now are in the same situation that you were in, that I was in, and that so many other people are in. And don't have a damn clue of how to point their yeah. nose, how to get perfect, get 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 directed in the right direction. And right. so for me, listening to what you're saying and going public with it, brother, it's I'm I'm literally busting at the seams for you. I'm so proud of you. Well, it's it, it's cathartic for me too, because uh, this way, you know, uh, it's not my dirty little secret anymore. But for yeah. us, uh, especially us as young men coming into the business, you know, uh, it's not so much as, as, as like it was today or like it was you know, the yesteryears, but uh, it still is to some degree. It's the alpha male business. You don't, uh, you don't, you know, you don't show your weakness. Um, you know, you don't ask for help. And really what recovery is about, um, and I've learned through this, through the network of the WWE Wellness Program, where like I constantly talk to Road Dog Brian James. You know, he's busy today. He always uh, retweets something of mine or communicates through social media about our little things that we say, like our daily mantras and stuff, because we need to, you know, for us, I need to set my mind straight for the day, like whether there be little goals or big goals to say, look, I'm not, you know, if I don't do these things for my head, I'm going to end up screwing up. 
you know, yeah. and, uh, and and those little things, um, you know, just just being open about it is a relief to me. Um, and it's it's cool to not have to hide it from the world. That embarrassment, that guilt, that shame. Right. And there is a lot of guilt and shame that goes with it. Um, but it's it's it, when it actually gets there to that point, it's freeing. Um, and you'd be amazed that most people are like, you know, yeah, man, I'm, I've had somebody, or I know, or I am like that. This young right. girl that I haven't I haven't seen in twenty something years that I graduated high school with. I uh, was a successful uh, married lady. Uh, she, you know, finances, homes or something like that, works for a bank. Uh, she actually did my parents' mortgage, ironically enough. But she hit me up on Facebook and said, uh, God, you know, uh, it's so great that you're doing this. I'm glad you're doing well. I went through the same thing 10 years ago. And I there didn't you know go. what to And I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, hey, I mean, you know, it's, uh, I'm not a savior by any means. And we all know we're all far from perfect. But it just if, if the if, if, if the um, if the documentary in any way that just the journey um, could show us at our at our most vulnerable and also at our most powerful, it shows that we're all we're all in the same we're all we're all vulnerable to this. You know, it doesn't it can it can happen to anybody, and um, and really, it's not. I'm not a preacher. I don't preach this stuff. I do what I have to do for me. Everybody's different. It doesn't you know one one shoe doesn't fit all in this right. situation, but I know what I have to do. Um, and, uh, and if I, if any, if I help one person, dude, great. Um, if somebody watches the movie and is entertained, great. Um, you know, I, it's just cool that I'm getting the opportunity to actually, uh, to do this, you know, and it doesn't hurt me, uh, and you know, financially as well. So it's a win-win all the way around. And, uh, I'm just really proud of it. And, uh, the guys behind me, the crew I got have been, uh, extremely cool and uh, accepting and uh, generous and uh, really uh, above the beyond. So I'm just, you know, jumping for joy, man. You know, I'm curious, did did you ever, uh, along this way, like when these people popped out of no place, did you ever stop and think like, boy, this is like crazy, like beyond coincidence that after meandering on this horrible journey for how long, that these people pop out and make this offer and give you this this opportunity. I mean, because it's like the similar thing in my situation was like when my second son was born, and I thought like I've often looked back now. He's 12 years old, going 13 this year, and I thought, had he not been born, would I be where I am right now? Because that was the catharsis right. for me. So for you in this opportunity, do you think like this is like some crazy opportunity or something bigger at work? Um, I don't know, man. I, I, I'd like to think something bigger at work because I don't know what would have happened if Dallas didn't call. And yeah. The reason Dallas called me was that they knew how to, they knew Dallas could get a hold of me. Um, that they didn't know how to get a hold of me. It, it wasn't this big plan to work with DDP because Dallas and I have been friends for a little while, and I'd been yeah. doing his stuff uh, on and off, and he, it helped me uh, before with my recovery, not just, uh, you know, substance abuse recovery, but physical recovery, you know, just helped my body out. Um, so I've been on the, on the horn with Dallas quite a bit, and uh, so he just, it just, it was the most, uh, it was a crazy coincidental right place, right time, which happens a lot in my career for some reason. Um, you know, and it's like 
just when you think, you know, it's like the, from Godfather 3, just when you think you're out, they pull you right <laughs> back in, <Yeah>. you know? Because <laughs> um, I really was uh, thinking of just, you know, I, and it's not because I don't love the business or I don't love entertainment, sports entertainment, pro wrestling is what I do like to call it. Um, it's not that I don't love it. I just don't find, um, I don't think I have a realistic place for myself where I could be confident that I could stabilize my family. Um, it's just not for me sometimes because sometimes I'm hot, sometimes I'm not. Sometimes, unfortunately, if times are going bad and money and I'm not getting the bookings I should, and even though I'm doing all the right things, I tend to get real down about it and get frustrated. And that can also be a trigger for relapse. So I, at one point when I really wanted to do the Tommy Dreamer retirement thing, when we did that, I really wanted to retire. And then people after a little while started offering me bookings. And I had to do it just to eat. I really didn't want yeah. to wrestle. And I still don't want to kind of wrestle. I quite frankly do it because I, I, you know, and I'm charging more than I normally would, which is, I'm not saying that's a lot. It's not, I believe it's probably less than what you get. But I'll charge, <laughs> you know, I, I have one number in mind. If you can't meet that number, and it's not four figures or anything, you know, or it's not five figures or anything, but, uh, you know, it's a certain number. And if you can't, but that's it, dude. I'm too old. I'm not going to sit here and worry about gas money and if I get a flat tire and do all this driving eight hours to come home with $200 in my pocket. Yeah. You know, I, and um, and so it's kind of, you know, that attitude has kind of helped me and this movie's kind of helped me just, you know, hey, okay, this, this is the deal and, you know, you want them or do you, do you not? I'm not? I'm not actively looking for bookings. If they come, they come. That's great. You know, and uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know what, I just really want to, I don't know, when this thing is done, I just want to see what, what other things I can do with my life. You know, I, I would love to say that, uh, you know, pro wrestling, would there would be a spot in there for me. And I uh, had a great conversation with Steve Austin. Ironically enough, Saturday, uh, I did uh, um, his deal on Saturday that will drop, I think, tomorrow. And uh, we talked for a couple hours, and he's another one who's... Uh, it was a real easy talk, and uh, we had a really good time. And, yeah. um, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things where he told me, like, uh, you know, a guy like you, um, you know, and it's a big compliment coming from him, you know, I, you know, we worked a lot when he was the ringmaster, and we got yeah. to go out there and just work, you know, 20, 30 days straight sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, sometimes it would be shake your hand, kick stun, or sometimes we go out there and wrestle for 15 minutes in the B-Towns opening match, you know, but uh, it gave him the, the the comfortability to mess up, to, to experiment, to do things that worked or didn't work or to, mm. to be able to paint, to paint that picture he wanted and to mess up. And a lot of guys, you know, aren't always like that. They want to get their shit in. They don't want to, you know, I knew my role at the time and I knew how to work and he could count on me to be there. And we had, so much fun. He still, I mean, it's funny, all these years ago, he still talks about it, brings it up every time we have a conversation, you know, and yeah. uh, I, I always felt that I had, and he said too, I, you know, I always felt you had something to offer this business, um, you know, hopefully if I, I mean, but who knows, you know, you, just because you get a job helping the guys down in Florida or doing something somewhere else doesn't mean that that doesn't go away in a year or six months either. So sure. there is no stability regardless of what you do in life. I just have to be a little, I guess, better prepared for when it does. 
and hopefully uh, this little thing we're doing right here will uh, give me just that opportunity. You know, should have stayed in school, man. That's what I, I tell you. That's what I tell Nicholas all the time. I said, kid, you know, you may have some great opportunities in life, but nobody can take away your education. You know, can't take can't take away with you know that degree or whatever you get. You know, so that's the only regret I have. Yeah, well, I have many. But we won't get into those. <laughs> That is some uh, great, solid advice. Now, as far as you and your career and Shane's career, they kind of mimic each other in, in certain ways when you think about it, just as far as the places you've guys been and, and the things you've guys accomplished definitely mimics each other. When is the first time that you guys actually interacted with each other? Because obviously, you know, you're both ECW, both WCW at one point, both WWF at one point, Ring of Honor, TNA, blah, blah. But when was the first time you guys ever really had history together and kind of clashed? It was, if I believe, uh, Shane, it was for the WWF, right? Yes, I believe in 1990, the, wasn't it? Uh, 96. Was it 95 or, or, it was, yeah, it was 95 or 96. I can't remember if it was my first run there or my second run there, but I remember. It was your second you were, one. It was your second yeah, one. Yeah, you were doing the Man of War thing. and. Yep, I was traveling with Candy, you know. Yeah, a lot, and, you know, and and I got to be I got to be friendly with you, and you were always really nice to me, you know. And I well, actually, no, I, we had met before, but it wasn't for WWE at all. It was uh, I, me and the, wow, this is a funny uh, tale out of nowhere. I went to Orlando in 1993 for a WCW Saturday night, and I think. That you, uh, I went there to do some jobs at the Saturday Night Tapings in Orlando. I worked with Vader and the Nasty Boys. Great lineup on t- right two nights or two <laughs> nights. Work with work with those two guys on TV yeah, as, yeah. A, as, as a job guy. But uh, and uh, you were doing. Uh, I was there two nights earlier, and you guys were doing two house shows. And uh, it was I was traveling with Steve Austin uh, and Paul Roma, and mm-hmm. it was. Uh, Pillman and Austin working with Steamboat and Shane. And they were just being it up. They were the main event, closing the shows. They were having these. It was the Hollywood Blondes against Steamboat and Douglas. And they yeah. were just, I mean, these, these guys were just going at it, man. And just tearing it up every match. Every night the match was different. I mean, the intensity, the, the speed, the pacing, the way they'd hit those ropes. I mean, all the little things that I can't stand the kids do today. I mean, it yeah. looked like a physical, intense confrontation. And, you know, it was just smooth and great. And uh, and uh, that's uh, we didn't hang out a lot, but uh, that's when we had, you know, first kind of shook hands and, hi, hi, my name is. And I'll never forget that. And actually, uh, and William Regal was in the car, too, I believe. And yeah. uh, But he was, a, he was a bit of a mess at that time. It wasn't... Uh, he was bad at that time. He was being a bad boy, but uh, he was down there. He was. I remember he was down there too. It was just. It was a weird. It was weird. Like a weird crew of guys, like Paul Roma, you know, and uh, Steve Austin. That car doesn't, you know, and then me. That doesn't really. Uh, it was kind of weird, but whatever. Well, you know, we, we had. I, I remember, like, the, the like when I, you know, meeting you like in ninety. Six or five, whatever it was, in the WWE, uh, WWF, I guess it was then. Uh, you know, 
like seeing him and watching him as a young kid and like watching him in the ring, you know, we, we, we come out of our own heads, like remembering ourselves at that same age and looking back. And I remember watching him and thinking like, damn, this kid's got it. Like he's got something, you know, there's something there. And right. watching it, you know, night in and night out. And, you know, it like sort of rekindled something back in me looking back at my career and thinking, like, I remember those times. Because, you know, we all go through that period. Like, when I was on Austin's uh, podcast, and we had talked previous to go on the air, uh, and he'd asked me how long before I was I in business before I really felt in, in control. And I yes. thought about it, and, and I said it was about seven years. And it was yep. about the seventh year in, and he said it was the same for him. And, uh, you know, so I, like, it, like, I remember watching you in, in the WWF then and thinking, like, man, this kid's like a green, like, he's like a baby. And he's getting all these things. He's selling his ass off. He's firing upright. He's, uh, the things that seemed to take me years to get, I was watching you get at, a, at an apparently much earlier age. And that really impressed me. And so years later in ECW, that would you know, be a, a, a whole other episode. Uh, you know, it all came full circle to me. You know, I, I was always impressed with what I saw you and the effort that you were putting in. You know, what most people don't understand in this business is that this business doesn't come easy. Nobody hands it to you. Nobody can just wave a magic wand and say, okay, you're a star now. Uh, it takes effort and diligence and lots of both of those. And yeah. to see you getting it so much earlier, sort of like caught me in my shoes like damn these these younger kids are pretty damn good you know better than i was at that age and and it just it always caught me in my in my attention well it, it was weird for me and i think it happened it, i think the reason it happened for me um a i attribute that to uh i broke in my first i went to calgary to train in 92 summer of 92 um and jericho and storm had been there the year before in 91 so I was being, they were there helping out with the hearts. The hearts were barely even involved, to be honest. The name was in the marquee, but you know how they did it. Uh, yeah. Whatever, you know, but still, I got a lot of uh, really good, solid, my basics were good. And uh, I was a fan my whole life. And really, um, I wasn't doing backyard wrestling like kids were filming it and putting it out there. I was, But I was backyard wrestling, too. And I just mimicked what I did on TV. Um, and yeah. To me, it wasn't that hard. Like, I didn't know any. There were no secrets or DVDs. You just could kind of, I was an athlete my whole life. I saw what they were doing. I saw how they were faking. You know, you knew it was, I hate to use the word fake, but at the time I used the word fake, how they were selling. And yeah. kind of, and I saw who the good guys were, the, the talented guys that I liked, and I mimicked what they did. And then I also, what got me really lucky was uh, I lived in Connecticut. Vince was doing the court, uh, this uh, steroid trial, and uh, they needed a lot. They were cutting down a lot of, of TVs, and they used, they were starting Raw in Manhattan every week. So instead of flying in, job guys, paying whatever, I was here. I was they were doing all local TV near the studio, near the office, a lot of New York, you know, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, you know, smaller venues, whatever. So I hit all. I hit a lot of those shots, 
and by working with guys like Kurt Henning and Owen Hart, uh, you know, you name it. I mean, I, I worked with Taker. I worked with, with Brett. I worked with Sean. Um, who else did I work with? I mean, I worked with pretty much everybody that had been had gone through there. Done, I mean, even though they were squashes, you get to see why they're good. Yeah. You get to see... You know, you get to interact. You get to they 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 put you in the moves, and you get to kind sure. of see their little tricks. And I was always very cognizant of that, and very aware of that, and looking for that. And then I'd study tape like a football player studies tape, and I would watch guys putting me in, you know, you know, almost into position for the next spot. So I was yeah. you know, before I knew it, I was already there because they put me there. Um, <laughs> right. So then I started I started putting myself there. And then when I got good enough and confident enough, I was doing that for the other guy. And, uh, you know, just something as simple. The last time I worked with Dreamer, uh, he was doing that silly little nine nine punches, goes for the dusty, bites me. You know, that's still everybody, the ten punches. Thing. Yeah. And I literally just did the old school thing where he went and he was kind of having a hard time getting his fat ass up on the ropes. <laughs> I just kind of <laughs> grabbed him by, you know, the, the, his lower calves, upper, you know, almost just to support him and bring him in a little bit, you know, because a lot of the yeah. veterans would help guys up like that. And he goes, yeah. wow, those guys never do that anymore. You'd be amazed how many guys <laughs> don't, don't, don't post. Uh, yeah. How many guys don't know how to do. I watched um, one of my first dark matches. Cause I, uh, for a while when I got trusted there, um, I would do a lot of dark matches, guys getting tryouts. And uh, there were these two muscular guys um, somewhere in, I don't know, Montreal or something like that. Small, small mm-hmm. place, though, not, not a big ring. Somewhere in Quebec, which I hated. Quebec, horrible. I'm sorry, guys from Quebec. But <laughs> just, I just, the food was bad. Nobody wanted to speak to you, and they all knew English. They all kicked you. Horrible. <laughs> anyways, uh, the Rougeau's up there, anyways. Uh, but, you know, um, I got up there and Pat and Vince were watching this one guy and I was next to uh, start the tapings or whatever. And uh, so this dark match goes out. The guys look like they look great, all gassed up, oiled up, big. They both look great. They lock up. And Pat just kind of throws his papers in the air and walks out. And Vince, right at the gorilla position, takes his headset off. Pat, where the fuck are you going? You know, we're supposed to watch these guys. Ah, uh, goddamn it, Vince! They can't fucking lock up. They can't fucking work. <laughs> that was it. Done. Done. Yeah. Yeah. Done. You know because it's true. I mean, you know, that's the first thing somebody sees, and they see these two monsters that look the part, and they lock yeah. up like a bunch of, um, you know, whatever, whatever the word I could use that's not incorrect politically, but a bunch <laughs> of just not aggressive blobs. <laughs> You know yeah. what I mean? Just a bunch of pusses, you know, it's just horrible. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I learned, and, and again, that's where I attribute a lot of my good training. I was very good at the basics, which then I learned like everyone else did through working in the ring, not working out spots and having forced our matches, every indie show with the same guy you trained with 10 years ago. Right. Um, we were, we worked every night, different guys, different styles, and uh, we really honed our, we had to hone our craft and, and, and get smart real quick, you know, and see who we could, uh, who, who could work with us, who we could work with and who was going to get you and who wasn't. 
kids don't yeah. get even that conversation these days, you know. But yeah, uh, you know. I, 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 like everything you're saying, I'm sitting like living through my mind, like in my career and things that I looked at uh, <clears throat> coming up because same exact thing. And and lately, like I, I don't know if anybody's followed along on on the social medias or whatever. Uh, I'm down on the business today. I'm not down on the kids today. I've watched the kids yeah. and they're stunningly athletic. I mean, yes. like I always say, my generation was more athletic than Bruno's. These kids yes. are like miles beyond my generation. The difference being, I was forced to learn my craft. If I if I didn't learn my craft, I was out the door and the next guy was in there that might be more muscular, better looking, faster, better wrestler, whatever. But it was either learn your craft or get out. And, like, now you see kids in the ring. Uh, I was on a show several months, maybe a year ago, and I'm giving the office to the kid. And he's completely oblivious, blind, mm. has no clue. And, like, my thinking is, like, I go back to my training. We all resort back to our training. And yeah. that was 101. Like, you you didn't learn to, like, Danucci, when he was teaching us in his school, for the first six months, we didn't, the, the ring is sitting right there. And, you know, all of us right. there, hit the ropes and everything. The ring is right there, but for six months, we're on the mats over here. And mm. learning to chain wrestle. And, uh, you know, I had an amateur background, so I was, you know, had, had certain, nowhere near Dominic's level, but... Right. Those are the things that I think are so missing in the business today that everybody instinctively goes to the 900 spots that are athletic and credible uh, off the charts, but there's right. no rhyme or reason to it. It's like, how did no. you get to that? Uh, and yeah, I, I agree. Uh, you know, and I, I, <laughs> You know, a lot of funny things, man. I, I, you know, I remember saying this to somebody. I, I, you know, it was, uh, you know, we we look back at wrestling. We say, oh, 20 years ago, those were the best. You know, that was really good stuff. And everything yeah. gets better with age. You know, that's why I never watch my stuff because I remember it as being a good match. I'll keep that memory because if I go back, I'm sure it wasn't that great. And you know <laughs> what I mean. And, uh, you, oh, know, yeah. like, you know, if you watch a lot of the old school stuff, man, from uh, the if, you, if anybody has the network, I watch a lot of the, you know, all-star wrestling from the late 70s and 80s. Boy, some mm -hmm. of that stuff was brutal. Yeah. I mean, it was brutal, uh, but comparatively speaking. Yeah, it, it just, to me, the biggest thing I have to what you were saying is, um, is those basics, chain wrestling basics, getting in and out of stuff, I mean, just locking up, taking a proper headlock, proper reversals, yeah. hooking and stuff right to get out of moves, not just, you know, I don't know, man, make it look like a struggle. And you'd be right. amazed how, how uh, you man, you, you could always tell back in the day how somebody was going to be just by locking up with you. Yeah. You know, I always, I always like to lock up, a little, lock up tight initially, but then loosen right up just for that, just for that two bulls locking horns and then really chill out, you know, sure. and then work. You know, and some guys would just stiffen up on you and really grab your, your arm, and I'd be like, uh, you know, it wasn't hurting me, but it's like, oh, boy, he's so tense. Yeah. And then he'd go to, you know, he'd want you to wring his arm, he'd give you the office, and he'd almost pierce right through your damn wrist. And I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> and then and then he won't, he's telling you to reverse it, but he won't even let you reverse it. 
Yeah. And it's like, just, just <laughs> you're expending energy, brother. I'm just sitting here smiling yeah. and just chill out, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. And really, Absolutely. I had to change and I had to learn to dial that down too with the just incredible character. Cause I was doing a hybrid of, of a lot of guys. I was doing a little stone cold, a little razor, a little flare, a little Sean. I just was stealing from everybody really. And everybody uh, does. And, and, but I noticed that I was blowing myself up with the yelling and the being vocal. Cause especially in those smaller uh, buildings, uh, the smaller rooms, you uh, can get like that, when it's really quiet, you know, that, you know, maybe you spit your gum out in the air with a big part with <laughs> yeah. the, oh, you know, I'll sell with, you know, I'm not shut with it. Oh, shit, you know. Yeah. Or it's like, you know, sometimes Dreamer would catch me going for an up and over and he'd catch me on the shoulder and I'd give a big, oh, shit, and get a pop. You know, basically like the underwear spot on the sunset flip when you pull down and you show yeah. your ass cheeks. Like those little <laughs> things, and you know, stuff like that you learn how to, but man, some some guys just never uh, never got it. It's not supposed to be that hard. Yeah. Um, well, that it, it really all those little that. all those little things you're talking about, PJ, are are what made just incredible, just incredible that stood out. Uh, you know, like I always tell people when I'm doing seminars, every one of us that's ever graduated from a wrestling school, we all know how to do the moves. It's, we all know how to do a suplex, take a backdrop, body slam, whatever. But what makes this guy stand out more than all the other guys? What is it that has this guy excel to the head of the class and this guy becomes a star when the other guys don't? They all know how to do the moves like you did, but what made Justin Credible stand out as a star? And, and, and it's those little things that you're talking about right now. The spitting out of the gum, the little catches, yeah. those little catches, all those things are signature things, as simple as they sound, that right. makes that stand out like a sore thumb and makes a star. Yeah, I mean, I I certainly didn't have a huge move set, you know, I didn't, <laughs> I, I I really didn't. Uh, I I almost actually a lot of times I'd get nervous because I'd really run out of stuff to set to do. You know, I started to have to pull stuff out of my ass that I never did during longer matches. Um, but, uh, you know, I had a couple of moves, you know, a lot of punching and kicking. Um, I was, you know, I wasn't drop kicking anymore and doing it because I was that typical like you were for a long time, that white meat baby face, hip yep. toss, arm drag, drop kick, cross bodies, you know, that fire and all the good stuff, you know, and it's still good stuff. But uh, sure. I had to really try to adapt and change there and um uh, you know, it, it became, it was fun, and I, 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 I learned as we went along. It was like improvisational comedy or acting, really. Um, you felt the rooms, and then it was easy to get over. People think it's hard to get over in ECW. For me, it was easy because I knew what they wanted. They wanted yeah. anything that wasn't uh, Vince, that wasn't WCW. Yeah. And if you just, and you kind of get it, like when they did the Aldo thing to me at first, I thought I was going to get crushed because I heard how brutal Philly crowds were. I would just give them a little wink like Jockstrap or you suck or Justin as I'd be like, yeah, I know. What am I going to do? Bad gimmick. <laughs> hey, <Yeah. man. laughs> just pay, just pay. I would say that to them, just paying the bill. Break the yeah, ice. They kind of laugh like, hey, I'm in on it. Hey, but I'm going to give you a good match. I'm going to die trying, you know. <laughs> Yeah. You kind of like, you know, you, there's ways to do things to kind of break that ice. 
and then you yeah. let them in like, hey, I'm I'm in on this, guys. Let's just enjoy ourselves. And then they yeah. kind of are like, hey, he could be our guy. We could like him. We could boo him or cheer him or, you know, and then, of course, things get deeper. But to make that initial connection, and it took, it took me a while. It took me a good year to get used to, to it. Um, but once you found it, man, it was uh, it was actually the most fun you'd ever have or can ever have. It was such a great place to work. You know, yeah, but you know what's up, And I don't, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass right now. Anybody that ever, has ever heard me talk does the same thing. You were putting in solid performances every single night in ECW. I was watching closely because, to me, as the guy sitting on top of the mountain, so to speak, uh, I knew, you know, the Taz and the Sabus and the Sandmans, the guys that were my peers. But I was looking behind me like that next generation coming up because one of those young bucks is going to be the guy that knocks me off the, the, the mountain. And sure. watching you, I was watching you closely. Uh, and you were putting in not just good performances, you were putting in impressive performances night after night in ECW. And it was that undercard. You know, I, I hear fans all the time say Shane Douglas and Taz, Shabu, we we were ECW. You know what fans fail to remember, and I've always said this. You know, we're, you know, we none of us are ten feet tall. But if you listen to the legend, we're all ten feet tall. None sure. of us ever missed a spot. But if you look back at that time, uh, yes, there there was a the, the core team that started ECW, but that got us off the ground. Then we had to have a second generation and a third generation. And with guys like you coming in and Lance Storm and Jerry Lynn and so many others that were really blowing the roof off the place, uh, that did two things. It satiated the crowd and showed us that we, had, we weren't just a gimmick, that ECW had a deep bench. And beyond that, it was holding guys like me and Funk and Taz and all the rest of us that were part of that original generation it, it, were, it was holding our asses to the fire because these young bucks are tearing the fucking house down. And, sure. uh, you know, so it, it was, you know, it was one of those things that was all feeding off of each other. But right. don't sell yourself short into what you provided in the ECW because it was, we launched it, but it, it could have fizzled quickly. You guys carried it into the, into the stratosphere. It was, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I mean, thank you, and I agreed. It was, it was a whole bunch of us that, that man, and uh, but it was, it was that though. Uh, it wasn't, it was, it was so effortless because I was doing what I loved, yeah. and I, and we were giving the uh, opportunity to do it. So really, yes. it wasn't a, to me. It wasn't a matter of effort. I wanted to go out there and kill every night. Sure. Um, we were allowed to do it, and so it was. I, I wanted to always be that guy. That could be, you know, I wanted to have, whether I did or not is, is up to opinion, but many nights I did. Uh, I wanted to have the best match I could have. Not saying it sure. should be the five-star match or whatever, but I wanted to do the best I could do, you know, and, yeah. and at least give that effort. And I think we all had that attitude. And um, it just made for uh, a really great product. You know, yeah. uh, you know. I think everybody brought that to the table, and everybody took it seriously. And um, it was just, uh, it was just, it, you know, it was a perfect, uh, perfect storm that uh, will never be duplicated again, no matter how hard you try. And um, it was a special, special thing in time, kind of like how, 
you know, I, I, I always say it was punk rock to what in the music scene in the eighty in the you know, eighties. You know, it was sure. just a thing that, you know, it was disco and then disco was dead and then all kinds of this weird shit started happening over here for that or alternative rock, you know, the grunge movement. It was just that that time, that short time of just game change. That was the game changer. And then everybody started to change. Yeah. You know? Do you remember do you remember ECW the same way? Like in my recollection, as I look back to ECW, uh, aside from the incredibly fond memories, uh, to me it was uh, like magic in a bottle. You know, like uh, I didn't know it at the time, didn't see it and recognize it at the time. But looking back on it now from a distance, uh, there was something special going on in that bingo hall. Uh, it, it, you know, I'd never seen it before anywhere since in, in, in a wrestling business where you'd come back from a match and the dressing would give you a standing ovation. Uh, I'd never seen it anywhere before or since, but there was some kind of a a chemistry and an ambiance, a a magic that was in the dressing room that made it, you couldn't, you know, as, as physical as ECW was, when you went home on Sunday, you couldn't wait till the next weekend to get back there. Right. Well, you know what it was, man? It was truly, you know, um, the island of misfit toys. And yeah. Paul Paul gets credit, sometimes too much credit for some things and not enough credit for others. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he really let us, the, some of the stories really wrote themselves. Um, yeah. And he, he, let, he let you do, he let you creatively do a lot of things. He let Tommy do a lot of things. I really was never into the creative thing, so whoever I was working with, we would mesh. But, you know, he'd have a basic outline. But nothing, like, not this meticulous thing, but his genius was putting ECW, you know, the brand was over. Um, So when guys, if a guy left, um, you know, if the money came calling, you know, I can't blame anybody for taking it, and I wish I would have taken it when I had the opportunity you know, um, uh, things would have been a little, well, who knows what it had been, but, you know, but either, either way, I mean, uh, but he, he made the brand over and it, that was, it wasn't, it could go without one guy or two guys, not the whole core, of course, but he really, he made it, he made it, um, the atmosphere and everything. And his genius was making us believe in each other and in ourselves. He was a great coach. Uh, not so much Booker. He was a great motivator. He's a good bullshit artist. <laughs> He's, he, he was good at looking you in the eye and telling you that you were fucking great. And whether yeah. he believed it, believed it 50%, whatever. I don't care. And it really doesn't, I don't, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't insult me anymore. I've gotten the resentments there are way gone. But, uh, you know, he was great at, as a coach. Because sometimes, you know, because we all had that hunger, and we'd be lying if we weren't, that little bit of right. us that wanted to be, to vindicate, to validate, because we had all been somewhere else, or most of us had, some of us did. Well, the ones that did knew that this was the time that we could shove it in everybody else's up everybody else's ass, you know, <laughs> and Paulie would get in their face with the, with his fucking, you know, the hat and the fucking jacket and in the <laughs> middle of fucking 
summer in that fucking long trench coat and sweaty and <laughs> looks like the penguin. And, you know, just all... And just give you that speech. And, you know, he was so charismatic and so full of shit, but so good at it that uh, he really made you go out there believing in yourself. And really, yeah. it, it just goes... It's a testament to the to the human possibility of, of guys who are already outstanding athletes and good performers when given confidence in the platform to perform what they are capable of. You know, it okay. really is because, because it's like a pitcher or uh, the best, oh, great analogy is Tiger Woods. He's uh, one of the best of all time. And for the mm. past, I don't know how many years he fell off due to injury and, Lots of surgeries, sure. and, and you know, now he's coming back. And I'm not a big golf fan, but I watch enough sports TV to know what's going on. And he's starting to kind of get his uh, his groove back. Yeah. And uh, it, it's something really similar to that. It's like when you stop believing in yourself, even though your 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 talent is still there, your mind and your talent aren't working as one. If you have that... You know, a lot of basketball players or they or football, baseball, you know, when you're throwing that pass, you see that pass. Mm. You can see it before you throw it, where it's going to go. You know, and it's like that visualization. Paul helped with that visualization. I would literally do a match, you know, because I knew so well the arenas. Like, I knew what corner, literally, even though it wasn't planned, that I was going to back myself into because I knew where hard camera was. And I always right. saw the the aisle in, in my head and where we'd have to place, and it was like a perfect dance. It was just a it was just the yeah. perfect venues, perfect person motivating, perfect stories. The fans were as big of it, big a part of it as anything because it was the yes. first time fans really participated yes. um, to that degree. Um, it was just, and we were cool, Shane. <laughs> we were cool. We were we were wrestling that was okay for kids to say, I like wrestling. College right. kids watched wrestling then. You know, they'd go out and drink beer at one in the morning and, and watch ECW at their, you know, dorm rooms or whatever, or their fraternities and or clubs, sure. bars, whatever, whatever. Because it was uh mature audiences. It was tits and ass, it was blood, it was violence, it was fuck you motherfucker. That's how we talk yep. in real life, by the way. Yes. When I'm pissed, when I'm pissed off at you. Right. Like, right. Fuck you. I'm gonna kick your ass. Not, hey, I don't like you. Uh, and this week, <laughs> I'll point. To, I'll, I'll point to the one night stand or anarchy rules sign, and we're going right. to meet at, you know, like the WrestleMania point. You know, we're meeting at that place. <laughs> yeah, hey, we're there. We're gonna like, do it. It's like fuck you, dude. Let's go, motherfucker. <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's you know. funny because you just said about, like, you know, the adult audience. And in my head, that's the way I had always recollected it. You know, yeah. we were an adult show for the adult audience. But yeah. I posted a question on Twitter, Facebook, and, and, you know, just asking a general question. And I got flooded back with people telling me I was 14 years old, I was 12 years old, I was 13 years old, and my brother and I, would sneak down and watch television. And I was right back. Did mom and dad know? They were, oh, no, mom and dad didn't know. But that was what ECW became. It was this counterculture that, yes. was, that was beyond cool. It, it, you know, yeah. WWE 
or WWF then, and WCW was cool. ECW was beyond cool, and this was like the yes. forbidden fruit. You couldn't yeah. touch it. Mom and Dad didn't allow you, and that made it even cooler. And right. that was, a, but at the crux of it, you know, burning all that stuff away. The one thing that impresses me every time I go back and watch an ECW uh, show, DVD, tape, whatever you want to say, uh, is how good the damn show was. For me as a wrestling mark, and I'm, a, I'm one of the biggest marks on the planet, I can watch great wrestling for 24 hours a day. And when you go back and watch those shows, even the matches that at that time weren't considered important, quote unquote, you know, quotation marks right, around it. Right. Uh, you watch that match and think, damn, that was a damn good match. And then the right. next one comes out and does better. And the next one yeah. does better and better and better. That was what I, was what always impressed me the most about ECW was no matter who, that's where I give Paul, it's real genius, was yeah. no matter who he brought into the company, these guys could go. And when I say guys, I hope everybody understands what I'm saying. Guys and women, both, you know, Francine, Bill, all the rest of them, everybody that was plugged into that show was exemplary at what they did and made the show fucking incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I mean, you know what's interesting? Well, Peter, I was going to cut in for a second, but you know what's interesting? When you, I'm sorry, when you you and uh, Shane, when you guys were wrestling, you guys were going at it, and Shane was kind of on the way out. Did you know he was on the way out in, in 99 when all that was going on? Because you two seemed like two of like the hottest heels going at that point. I think I think it was discussed. I'm not sure if it was if you and I ever discussed it. I knew I knew it was kind of out there. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't really remember. I don't really remember how that. I mean, I remember the angle uh, specifically. I know we shot that angle in uh, Queens. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the boots, when he laid the boots down, and they came to yes. the scene uh, by accident. Well, she jumped in the the way. Um, I remember that, and I remember we had that one phenomenal match in Philadelphia. Um, oof, that was. Uh, Wait, I mean, ridiculous. Now, now, on, let me ask you, Peter. You're, I'm curious your your recollection of it because, in in my recollection of that match, was it seemed effortless. Like I it don't was. remember. Like, like drilling my head, like thinking beforehand, what can I do? And we went to yeah. the ring, and I remember it was just like, it was like A B C D E F G H I J K L. It was just, it just fell into place. It was one yeah. of those matches that just seemed to like create itself. It did. It, we didn't really have much. We had a couple of things. You had a specific one thing, and it was, and yeah. it was. This was the most complex thing we had. Um, you wanted me to bounce your head on the apron and kind of yes. t- a bunch of times and go downwards so this way I could pick you up and have a little running room to get to you because it's a short we had short distance uh, guardrail and uh, ringside um, yeah. and 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 he kind of bounced his own head out of my hand was just there as a you know show <laughs> and I could the the hardest part of the entire match was just getting the timing. And, right, and he'd yeah. say, "No, go this way, go this way," and then the hardest part, everything else, we just fed off each other, and it was like, you know, and it's again, it's that slow burn. Is like, you yeah. know, he's bleeding. Um, I wasn't bleeding, but I, I wanted to probably be bleeding because 
I love the breed. They just didn't want me to all the time. I don't know why. I think Paul was saving it for Van Dam, and that never happened. <laughs> yeah. But uh, whatever. And it was just like, you know, it was that chop, and you would sell, and you'd turn around, bah, and then, yeah. bah. But our chops weren't stiff either. It was no. like those nice, loose, open hands. You'd get that nice sound. So we'd go give 20 back and forth, and, oh, my God, they're serving the chops up tonight. Bah, <laughs> bah, woo, woo, down the aisle, and then I, you know, you do the big sell, turn around, Boom, I'd do the flare back, maybe over the guardrail, take a bump, you'd come out after me, nut you, bang, you'd go do that, go back in the <laughs> ring, maybe a little bad. It's just so easy, dude. Well, I don't, I don't know if you remember or not, but you you hold the distinction of being the only person that I've ever pressed in my head, in my I career. I was going to say that. I was going to say that, yes. Over the, into the, over, the t- over the press slam into the table. Into the table, yes. And you had uh, the goddamn cast on, too. We, but I remember, like, when we, I was thinking of the spot in the back, and I thought, I, I know PJ's good enough to do this. I didn't know oh, how yeah. I could do it. But once we I, got I, into, I, the, into the match, it just it came up, and there it was. For me, see, I love those corner bumps because yeah. basically it's a hip toss bump. You break the table yeah. with your legs in your ass. And yeah. I always, I, I have had so many concussions. Um, I don't like anything backwards because I could slam my head yep. a lot. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about. So anything, oh, but yeah. anything for, forward, I really did prefer. So I was like, well, hip toss is a little, it's okay. But, you know, I know I could, if I can get that timing of we both bend right, I was coming off the buckle. It was like a, yep. it was like a back into the same buckle the, the table was opposite, and I came staggering out. We both bent at the same time. That perfect right the timing. I posted on your shoulders. Yep. You outstretched your arms. I pushed on yours, and it was perfect. Yeah. Picture perfect. But that, but that, that's the key. That, and that's what, again, not to, you know, I, I'm not trying to deride anybody, but as I'm watching today, it looks like everybody's pushing the pool. Yeah. As opposed to doing, dude. Just working in the same vein. Uh, yes. You know, look, I'll be the first to tell you, I couldn't press a 230-pound guy, and especially that stage of, of a match. I was gassed up. I was gassed up then, too. So I was, yeah. I was at least 230, you yeah. know. So, But I, it was that – I mean, I did have good jumps, and I had enough athletic ability to know, let's time yeah. it, okay? I'm not coming at you too hard, and I know that I'll have that one stop, plant my two legs – Post, right. you give me, we both go down, we both go up, and yep. there we go. And the table and obliterated. A, you went down to your knees, a bloody mess, and that crowd just fucking went berserk. It, and the bump it, was, it really, and it was like, it was so easy, too. It, it really is simple, right? I mean, it's there, yeah. there's no rocket. You know, I, I keep digressing to Bill Watson, my crit. I don't know. That's a good thing or a bad thing. I, I learned so much from but I remember him saying when I was a kid, not no kid in the business. It ain't rocket science. We're not curing cancer. Black hat, white hat, that's wrestling. And when you go back and you watch that match, it, clearly for the ECW fans, they could see this was the franchise, but this was the next franchise in wrestling in ECW. They, you could see the passing of the torch there that, that was generational, that was what the business was always supposed to be. The same as it was passed to me, passing on to somebody else. And 
I remember that night just being so effortless. Like there was no, like holy shit beforehand. We have to live up to this. Like, I don't remember any stress being in that match. No, it was none at all. None at all. Nope. I remember the same thing exactly. We ne- we yeah, always we, had nice matches. So we never stressed out about anything. You know, because no, you know, me, me and Jerry Lynn neither. Um, and people always praise our matches, but uh, no, you know, he, for good he reason. Was one of those. But he was one of those guys, and we didn't do a whole hell of a lot either. We just knew. Look, I have, and I always had a, a bunch of these. I had a handful of things that, no matter what in the match we're doing, I could simply have you in the corner and give you a couple chops or a couple of shots and just tell you to reverse me. And if we need a pop, if it's a little lull or a little dead time, and we need a little pop and a little, you know, maybe a double down or something, I could take a flippy outside or I could impale yeah. myself or take the baseball slide to the post or mm. something, you know, something. I know where I can get my little oohs and ahs. And right. I think a lot, of, a lot of good guys have something they can do where yeah. they know if if I'm in trouble, okay, let's go to this. And we sure. had a bunch of a bunch of things where if we're in trouble, we can go to this, and we know we can always get up with this. You know, if that don't work, let's get up with that. <laughs> you know, and we had a bunch of that stuff too. Karina was so, was like that too. He's under. Oh, Chris, yeah. He was, uh, we, him and him, me and him had some great matches too. You know, and uh, again, another guy who was super easy to to work with, you know, super easy to work with. Well, and, and don't don't you think that a lot of that gets, I, I think all of that gets lost. If you and yes. I were to sit in the back before that match and say, okay, PJ, we lock up. I'm going to do this to you, and then you do this back to me, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then. There were, the spontaneity of that match would have been lost because we were both calling, as I remember it, we were both calling the match, and we each knew, uh, I certainly knew what you were capable of, and I think you knew what I was capable of and what our moves were. And there was a, there was a give and take that was complimentary to each other, not like I'm going to go out and eat PJ up and make myself be a superstar or you eat me up. Uh, and likewise, had we been in the back saying for six hours before the match, okay, if you do this to me and then I'll do that to you and on and on and on, the, the spontaneity of that match I think it would have been completely lost. And yeah, yeah. that's that's where I really think, and every time I do it, it drives me bonkers because every time I do a seminar, I'll tell the kids these stories, and then I go into the dressing room and see them all sitting back there going, okay, then, PJ, you do this to me, and I'll do this to you. <laughs> and it drives me crazy. And they go out and they do the same thing that we've railed against in the seminars, uh, I look back, like, today, somebody posted a GIF online. Whoever it was, thank you for posting it because it brought back great memories. It was a six, seven-minute GIF of my career and showing me as a dynamic dude and on through to the revolution and the franchise and all these different aspects. But watching it, and, and what stuck out at me was, I wasn't watching myself. I was watching everybody I was working with and thinking, my God, did I have some incredible talent to work with. Uh, just phenomenal. And that is the give and take, the fun of our business. And it is supposed to be fun. Uh, And I think that's a big thing that's been lost, don't you? 
Yes, and uh, I, I think there is there's really no fun in the business anymore, um, and kids don't understand it. Um, and I'm not one of those guys saying we don't have to progress. Things do progress. Style sure. change. Uh, but uh, look, and you can tell when guys are out there having fun. Like I, yes. go, I, I can go out to a concert and I can see four guys on stage going through the motions. They don't really mm-hmm. like each other. They don't like each other anymore. They're in a shit town. One's pissed off. One's you know, one's not singing right because his voice is probably fucking hurting from the fucking tour. The other one's pissed off because he's got a yeast yeah. infection or, or his girl's fucking some other guy <laughs> in the band. And they're just barely, you know, whatever. Just like in wrestling, it's the same thing. But when you're in the pocket, when you're really in there doing and enjoying it, it it's it's just, it is effortless. And I like to work, mm. and again, this was not to keep bringing it up, but I had a hell of a, of a conversation with Steve because he's very similar to, I'm not comparing myself to him and his work, but uh, similar in the ways we fed off one another, how we fed off one another. He yeah. credited just for going over there and reading each other and being able to, you know, pick up on things. And, you know, sure. you know I, rea- I react to his facials, to his, uh, if he steps one way, you react to that step. Or if just, yes. attitude, you know, pretend, play pretend. Right. If this was real. All I like to do is, if this was real, right? how would how would I want my character to, to be in a dream world? And yes. then execute, execute it in the dream world, Right. You know, so I don't hurt nobody, you know, so we sell it and make it fair. You know, so if this was a dream and, and we're out here play fighting, what, if somebody bows up to you, and I'm actually doing it in the kitchen now, I must look like an idiot if somebody's watching me, but uh, I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, you go right up to their face, what, what's up? What's up? All right. What would you What would you do? You'd be like, get your hand, get your hand out of my face. Don't get so close to me, you piece of garbage. All right, right. kid, let's go, you know. Maybe back yeah. up a little, maybe get a little pull, brother, <laughs> you know, circle around, maybe we lock up, maybe we clean break, maybe a slap, maybe a slap back or a little shove off the chest, you son of a bitch, fire up, come on, you know. Right, Whatever. right. It doesn't and, have to and, do that. It could be anything, but it's just a quick and, example. Absolutely. And none of that needs to be called in the back. No, but they we, will. We, Yeah, we can go to the ring and do that. You know, you were talking about Steve, and you know everybody knows my affinity for Steve. I, I you know, I, I was fortunate at that stage of my career to have Brian and Steve to work with when I was working with one of the all-time greats, Ricky Steamboat. But there were in that gift that they posted today, there was a segment, uh, and and I'd forgotten this button. And Steve and I used to do it pretty regularly, where I'd be down selling, and he'd come over and he'd pie face me away, and I'd sell for a split second, turn around, leg dive him and just start blasting them. And I remember the pops that he used to get with the crowd. Uh, You know, it was something so simple. It didn't need to be called in the back. If somebody did this to you in real life, how would you respond? And and again, it was spontaneous. It was real watching it. Uh, So simple. Steve was like off the charts with his timing, with his psychology. And... Those are the things, you know, you know, the word psychology and storytelling gets thrown around an awful lot. Yeah, and, and I, then I people don't it, even, yeah, they don't even really know what they're meaning by that. Yes, you know? it's, it's, it's a lost yeah. art. And it really thing has too, become you just, a lost art. 
you just mentioned that one thing. I like to do it as a baby face. If somebody gives me something that gets a big ooh, and I'll sell it to like a moment, like if it's a rib shot or or something big, and I'm really selling in the corner, like, fuck that hurt. And he'll come too quick at me to pick me up to do something else. And then I'll almost like shoot, shove him off, like, Dude, sure. get away from me! Like that was like give me a chance to sell it. That that wasn't a part of the script, dude. Right. But I'm working. I'm working it. Like I'm almost like you know, almost trying to give them that. Is it real? Is it fake? Like get away from me! Damn it! Uh, absolutely, smoker. You know, and then kind of give that mean look, and then they get like a lot. If you know you're working, you know to come at me. Some kids will get intimidated by it, and I'm like, come yeah, on, come back, come back over here. You know. Just working. Sure. You know, but that's that little, that's that fire, that that little, that doing nothing that means a lot. You know, the yeah, little so. in-between things, you know, the in-between the, the moves, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Steve used to say, PJ, Steve used to say every night to us, it's the small things that makes the big things count. And oh, yeah. even though at the time he was telling it to us, it was like right over our head. We didn't know what he was talking about. But then you look back at it now, at this point where you can look at a career and bookend it, uh, like wow, how how simple that is, and yet how eloquent it is. You know that, mm-hmm. that in the selling and the execution of the match. Like I always tell the kids when I'm doing a seminar, it's like golf. You play it where it lays. You can't say, "Well, I don't yeah. like the ball there, so I'm going to move it over here," and. Uh, and you can't do it. You can't play it where it lays if you've pre-called everything in the back. And yes. you know, so it's either or. You got to pick a. You got to pick one or the other. And it, it, from my experience, the, the the going out there and calling it and doing it spontane on on a spontaneous fashion was it was so much fun because it was a challenge. Like let's okay, PJ is going to go for something or whatever that is. I'm going to try to counter it. Whether it's counter to go along, counter to counter, uh, but it was like a live video game that you're playing in mm-hmm. your head as you're out there in front of an audience, and and to right. me that was just beautiful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It it really is, and and that just shows an all around uh, lack of uh, I don't know of, of of really good teachers. I think it's a lack of having a structure to come up with. Nowadays, I think now there's more uh, good structure, and I think it was absolutely necessary for feeder systems. And now we have some actually, I see a resurgence in the business and the fact that there are so many good quality independents uh, worldwide. Yeah. Uh, London, I mean, England as a as a country and territories are, are hot. Uh, stuff overseas is, is good. Australia is pretty good right now. Japan is blowing up huge again. It's big over there. Mm. Um, New Japan's over here. I mean, you know, shit. Right. I mean, the indie business, is, um, and I hope it's a way of, of, you know, checks and balances now, again, to where uh, with the way things are, you don't need that TV deal anymore because you can get away with uh, putting your product out there enough if you have the right thing. With the, you know, you don't need the millions of dollars you needed, or you know, to rent studios and buy film and record right. quality content. You know, it could be done fairly cheaply if you have the ability and the the, the vision and the execution, the talent to execute it. Of course, no, no question. I mean, 
you know, PJ, what we didn't recognize at the time, at least I didn't, uh, you know, we were on the highest high that the wrestling business would ever see at the time. Yes. Uh, and yes. we, uh, at least in my head, we, I always assumed it was going to go up from there. I never anticipated this huge drop off when you look at, you know, the, uh, the time that we were wrestling in ECW and the business was red hot. There were 48 to 52 million fans watching wrestling every week in this country alone. Forget the rest of the world, just in this country. And now we're seeing two to three million. And we know we hear this mantra all the time that, well, the ratings are down across the board. They are, but they're not down 95, 96% across the board. And I have to wonder to myself, if there was competition in the business, if there were vanilla and chocolate, two different flavors as opposed to just one flavor each week, mm-hmm. would the business, as, like we're seeing in the independence, this huge resurgence, would we be seeing the same thing at the national level? What's your thoughts on that? Um, I'm not sure. I think we would to a degree, but I don't think we... I'm not sure we've hit upon it yet. I thought it was going to go there, honestly, with the, with, and it may still, with New Japan's strong style, almost yeah. uh, kind of Ring of Honor. I, I'm not a big fan of Ring of Honor. I'm not saying I'm not a fan of the guys. I am. Uh, they're great, talented guys. But right. uh, Jim, Ross, Jim Ross has one of the easiest things, uh, critiques on Ring of Honor. Just if they just sold, yeah, you know, a little more, um, sure. Because really, it's it's you know, you're doing all this stuff and you're kicking out of every little thing. It's just, I mean, it's great and all, but you're not only exposing. It's not even exposing the business. It's just you're 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 putting on a. It's like why well, I don't know. It's it basically it's your preference. Do you want to watch The Godfather? Or do you want to watch Jackie Chan or Bruce Lee? Right. Like in the movie, in the movie, The Godfather, you're going to see an epic tale of the tape, or you know, like a like a big long production, which means a long match for a significant title or significant storyline against two big Hollywood stars, two big you know big time big time wrestlers, whatever. You know, I'd rather see The Godfather than the Jackie Chan or Lee Bruce Lee movie. Doesn't say that I don't like Kung Fu karate movies and that action stuff, but I prefer the other stuff. So there's a place yeah. for all that. I don't know what it is. I don't think we've found the thing that we're. I always still believed that um, the way you see music is at a very like um, it was the time of grunge. When ECW came, it was a time of alternative music, and really the soundtrack, the soundtrack to ECW was just as genius as everything else that was genius. No doubt, because it, it, it was it was hip. It was almost like watching a you know music video um, with wrestling and blood. It was just perfect. That wouldn't work so much today because that music isn't. You know, we can't play music from that, that era, and really that scene doesn't exist anymore. It's different now. Can you do it with hip-hop? I don't think so. It just doesn't translate as much to wrestling. What would be the next thing? Um, 
that would be, I don't know, I don't think that's been maximized yet, but I think that it's an, wrestling is auditory, and it's certainly um, visual, and uh, it's all-inclusive, like, you know, I, I think, you know, Queen, for example, whether you like Queen or hate Queen, I love Queen, and they're, they sold out stadiums all over the world, you know, with four guys, you know, one of them, a flamboyant lead singer, but they had anthemic songs that, you know, with big, big sounds, big productions, crowd wasn't, you know, a huge part of it, bring them along for the ride. Then that's what I think wrestling is, is missing. It's like, it should be boned, crowd involved, hot, compelling stories and, and really it shouldn't be I hate back like the the ECW backstage segments the Pulp Fiction kind of segments those were cool but a lot of criticism today with WWE is it's so formula with the long promos and a lot of the shitty acting backstage it, you know I think we should be doing a lot more serious angles like you know I, I honestly think going back to the old days where, like you know I don't even remember who it was but somebody broke Ricky Morton's nose on the concrete yeah. somewhere you know in Atlanta Blair. You yeah, know, Blair. Uh, man that shit you know and that was so serious to me I thought that was a shoot brother I wanted to go down there and kick <laughs> ass myself yeah. you know and but but just I just wanted to to kind of be pro wrestling again, and um, and treat it as such. Um, Ring of Honor had some really good ideas. Uh, New Japan has some good ideas, but they're just different right now for because people I think enjoy the way it's presented, um, and they right. they just like it. It's just it's hip right now, the Bullet Club thing, and it's also good for the business because it's showing uh, the big boys that uh, you know. The little guy does have some power, um, hmm. but I don't know what the next big concept is going to be. Is is more is what I should say, you know? I don't know what it's yeah, going to be. I'm with you. I I think that you know, to me, you know, we we've we've done uh, like two tables, three tables, four tables, five tables. Uh, you know, we've gone as far as. Yeah, a human being can only jump so high. There's only so many tables you can put somebody through. But to me, what really brings it together is the storyline that's going to pull it together. Is you know, exactly. it's it's not a question that I flatten your tires. You know, because think think of it in the real world. If I came and flattened your tires with a camera filming me, it'd be two phone calls: you to your insurance company and you to the cops saying Shane Douglas flattened my tires. You got you got four new tires, and Shane Douglas is going to jail or paying at least for your for your new tires. Uh, you've got to make it somewhat some semblance of believable, and I, I agree with like the Ring of Honor in New Japan. It's a it's a different flavor, so it's getting some counterculture. But until the storylines and, and the angles pull it all together, uh, the rest of it, you know, we we can all do backflips and land on our feet and jump 900 different ways to Sunday, but until the A leads to B leads to C, until those common sense things are in place, the rest of it is just really, I think, spitting in the wind. Uh, I I believe, and, and if I can go on my soapbox for a second. Are you watching? Uh, are you guys watching this right now? I'm sorry to interrupt uh, you. They're doing that ultimate deletion thing on Raw. I, I, I've got it on earlier. the background here. 
they're <laughs> literally doing something in Matt Hardy's backyard with Bray Wyatt and him in his in his house, and it's a match. Mm. Now, wouldn't you say that's sort of like the empty arena match kind of thing? But they're doing like so corny. I think it's corny with like they have the drone. Like they're 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 trying to find like a different kind of thing to me, but it's you know again it's all going back to stuff that's been you know everything gets recycled, right? And I think that's what we need. We need to fucking recycle something good because really, yeah. I mean, I, you know what I mean. I don't know what the formula is going to be, but I just think it should be really simplified again to. You know, Magnum TA taking that piece of chair and making, I mean, it's Tully with the I quit. And, you know, yeah. just really, I mean, really getting people to believe. I mean, I know the era of kayfabe is gone. But, man, in some ways, they could do so much better. Well, you know, people believe. You know, as much as I love and respect Jim Cornette, he and I go round and round about this. I, I, was, I was in eighth grade when I met Dominic Danucci. Uh we were putting on a backyard show that we had set up pretty much, like I guess, like the kids do today. We literally wrote our matches out and then practiced them over and over again. And then sure. we regurgitated this in the in, in, our, in the backyard show long before anything called backyard wrestling. Um, right. But, you know, as we were doing that, uh, you know, looking back to what we were doing then and then what I learned along the way, uh, you know, the, the business has gone into a direction that, you know, Jim Cornette and I go round and round about this, where he says, well, you know, the, you know, the business has been exposed and you can't kayfabe anymore. Weren't you, before you got into wrestling, PJ, weren't you pretty sure that the business would work? Oh, yeah. I mean, you didn't yeah. know it until you broke into it, but you, you sort of, like, like in my thinking, I don't think the wrestling fan sitting out there gives a flying fuck if it's a work, it's a shoot, it's not a shoot. Uh, it, but if you deliver it to me in a package that doesn't insult my intelligence, the heel gets heat, the baby face knows how to shine, and the storyline goes in some semblance of, in other words, Shane Douglas doesn't shoot laser beams out of his eyes. Uh, as long as you present it in a, in a believable format, that the, that's all the fans are looking for. Every fan on the planet knows our business is a work. How do we present it? And uh, I yeah. think what's being lost today is that the all those things we've been talking about during the show, the believability, the semblance of, uh, of making it look like a shoot when it's a work, all those things have been lost and what's missing from the business today and why the business has gone from 52 million fans a week to 3 million fans a week and digressing. Yeah. 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 yeah I agree. I mean, it's, you know, and uh, I, I just don't see it. Like what I'm watching right now on raw is, and this was a lot of big hype and it's a lot of what we're talking about. It's this uh, slick, very well produced, thing, but it's supposed to be a fight and it looks like a, a, a trailer to a horror movie or a scene from a horror movie <laughs> and, and, and there's fighting going on and there's fighting going on in it and now there's Bray Wyatt uh, you know, uh, with cutaways of him in a movie, you know, movie scenario 
And now they're beating mm. each other up in some backyard at nighttime with movie camera style film and a kendo stick and and fake wrestling, fake shitty acting. Yeah. And it doesn't look believable. The shots look protected, and they're probably hurting like hell too. You know <laughs> yeah. those, you, you, you know those, right? The ones that oh, hurt yeah. like hell and they look like shit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I hate those. You know, at least at least if they're gonna look hurt, make it look good. Right, uh, right. And that's what's going on here. It's just poorly. It's it's slick and well produced, but it's just bad TV. Yeah. It's just, and that's what people crack on wrestling for. It's just not intriguing. Like, why am I watching this? This looks like a Brad right. B movie. And I hate to say it because I bet you everybody loves Hardy and Bray Wyatt. So I, and I already wrote something on Twitter. I bet you get slammed for it. So I poo pooed <laughs> yeah. on it. But it's, it's, it, to me, it's just not entertaining. And I'm curious yeah. to see what the fans say. I'm actually going to pull it up right now and see if we can get some results while we're still talking. Just kind of, I only said that cut away with because it, it just kind of really was talking to our point of uh, right. what it's about these days. You know, now, there, now somebody's running around in a cemetery and Matt Hardy's the worst actor <laughs> of all time. He's like, well, what? I know, I know that. It, TJ, this is hilarious. <laughs> No, but I mean, I know it's his gimmick to do that, but it's just like that over-the-top thing is just like killing me. Oh boy, he must be pissed. I love Matt, but dude, Jeff, Jeff is is just like he could mess up a wet dream and doesn't have to do anything. And Matt works so hard, and Jeff just has <laughs> to barely be able to get dressed and get ready, and he's always gonna have that thing, you know, and. It's like one works so hard and wants it so bad. The other one just is like, you know, and that, that oh. God, the resentment there has to kill him. <laughs> but Sorry. but it's all but it's all based off history, right? I mean, I remember watching the Hardys fifteen oh, years yeah. ago, ten years yeah. ago, whatever, and so it sort of takes on life of its own. Uh, Absolutely does. Yeah. Where I, I where I think the business has gone awry is that. With all these social medias and this ubiquitous 24-7, you can pull up anything at any point. Uh, and looking at it from point to point, uh, when I was a kid, I used to go to the Pittsburgh Civic Arena, and the first thing I did with my dad, I would walk into the Pittsburgh Civic Arena, and I would look to see, are there cameras here? Because if there's cameras here, that means something's happening tonight. Uh, yeah. But, you know, again, it didn't matter to me what shoot work, whatever, that never, that, those words weren't even known to me at the time, but it, they didn't matter to me at the time. I wanted to see the guy that I was backing beat the guy that I didn't like. And, right. you know, that's, that's what I think has been lost in the over and under of this is here's just incredible. He's a jackass. So you should hate him. And here's, Joe Blow, he's a babyface. He should love him. So Joe Blow should be just incredible, just because. As opposed to what makes these characters tick, what goes into those characters, what are the traits of those characters? It's so much more nuanced and so much more deep dug, I think, than just right. being today in the business. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, we totally agree. Now we can listen to you guys talk all night. We can be flies on the wall, but PJ, I think we'll uh, we're gonna let you go because I know you got a little bit. Uh, you gotta get some sleep. We we went a little late tonight for you. 
And uh, we appreciate you coming on. But before we let you go, I want to get one more big plug in here for the documentary and for the project you got going on. You got a lot of bookings coming up. So please, the floor is yours. Give all the information of what you got going on and where we can find anything and everything in the world of Just Incredible. Absolutely. Um, well, the, the, the movie's coming uh, probably not till uh, the end of the year. We're still in production till around uh, the middle of April. Uh, it be coming out on Netflix and iTunes uh, so far, as we know. Uh, it's produced by Douglas Cartelli and uh, David Gere. Um, and uh, Dallas Page is also involved in it. And uh, go to CredibleDocumentary.com. Anything and everything social media-wise, go to Twitter, at PJ Polacco. I have links to everything on there. Uh, Pro Wrestling 101 you can find on YouTube under Just Incredible. Great. Over 60 uh, pro wrestling how-to little snippets. A lot of the young kids ask me, you know, and I break it down like uh, almost like school subjects, psychology, promos, uh, how to sell, how to do a job. You know, a lot of different different stuff. I interview guys like Terry Funk, Gold Dust, Lance Storm, um, you know, so many so many good people. Tommy Dreamer is one of them. Uh, you know, so just uh, check that out, too. And uh, that's uh, pretty much it, guys. Um, you know, tomorrow uh, the big uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin podcast drops. And, of course, this one we're going live. So, uh, you know, uh, that, that's about it, man. I'm, I'll be doing WrestleMania weekend as well, like every – Everybody's going to be. I'll be at WrestleCon uh, with Masters of Ring Entertainment. Um, sitting, you know, I'll be there promoting the movie, shooting some uh, some scenes for the movie. Shane's going to be in the movie. Actually, we did a bit at the old ECW arena for it, uh, where we got yeah. sat down. Yeah, and uh, we got to talk. So Shane will be in it. Thank you, uh, Shane. And um, and that's pretty much it, guys. Uh, you know, just uh, staying busy, and uh, you know, and uh, just trying to uh, stay sober, man, one day at a time. Yeah. Well, a couple yeah. things. If I can jump uh, in real quick, PJ. Uh, first of all, I'm, I'm just, like I said at the outset, I'm busting at the seams to see like how well you're doing and see all the positivity coming your way. And every time I see on Twitter all the stuff you're posting out, it just really puts a big smile on my face just to see because fuck the wrestling business, all that bullshit aside. To see my friend Peter Polacco on there and doing well and seeing what I've seen for the last 13 years uh, to know that there's so much more life out there than just using or being stuck in that rut that we, we were all stuck in. I'm so thrilled for you and so happy for you. I can't wait to see it. WrestleCon and can't wait to see the documentary and thank you for being on with us tonight, brother. It's been a great time. Everybody, guys, John, Chad, Shane, of course, you, man. It's it's a pleasure, and uh, thank you very much. Uh, it was it was effortless, and it was actually fun, and it was worth mm-hmm. uh, staying up past my bedtime. <laughs> 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 so well, we thank you, guys. It, and we will uh, we will see you down the road for sure. Absolutely. Have a wonderful evening, guys. Thank you so much for you having too, me, brother. All right, brother. Take care. Thank you. Good night, guys. Thank you, PJ. Good night. Bye, bye. Thanks, buddy. So we're still here on the Triple Threat Podcast. We're going to finish this out in real time, Shane, because that was a great talk with PJ. I mean, we learned so much, not just about what he's doing with the project, but also the road to recovery and so many great stories between Amen. you and PJ. But, but, I mean, you know, is that something that you like to hear? You like to hear those stories of triumph 
as well as kind of dabbling in some of those good times, albeit maybe he was suffering at some points during those journeys. Now looking back on that road to redemption, obviously you look back at everything with the glass half full or half empty, and he's obviously now on his way to a great place in his life. Well, you know, we've all seen these movies where you know the the the, the, the hero goes through his tri- trials and tribulations, right? But in the real world, this is what addiction looks like. And uh, as we all know, picking the newspaper up every day, uh, this story, and in this business especially, this story all too often ends in, and so my friend so and so died, whenever. Uh, you know, that, that's what really put a freeze on, on when I was writing my book. It was that every story I started realizing was digressing to chapter seven leading to, and so my friend so-and-so died, and then my, chapter eight, and then my friend so-and-so died. And it was bringing me down. It was such a downer to me that I had to, like, take a break away and step back and realize that I had to take a different approach to this book because I didn't want the book to be that. And when I hear a story like PJ, and again, all the bullshit aside of the professional wrestling business, uh, Peter Polacco is a damn good guy. He's a great kid. And he always has been. And the last thing I want to hear is somebody calling me and saying, did you hear about PJ? Because I know what's coming next. Uh, So to hear that as seldom as you hear it, the 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 ride that I took in 2005, December 22nd of 2005, to hear that my friend PJ is is now taking the same ride that Scott Hall has taken, that Jake Roberts has taken, and that so many of us has taken, it really is a, a dichotomy. You can just succumb and let the let the let the addiction take over and kill you or land you in jail or whatever, or you can put up a fight. And that PJ's putting up the fight and putting up an impressive fight uh, and doing it in such a eloquent way. Uh, to me, just uh, honestly, I'm sitting here in my living room tonight and I'm beaming because just to hear him and to hear his story uh, to me is just humbling to no end. And there are so many people out there that are in the same situation that need to hear this story, to hear that. If that guy can do it, maybe I can do it. Or maybe that guy that I used to watch that I looked up to can do it, maybe I can do it. So for that, all kudos and, and on my knees bowing down to PJ that he's willing to take this story uh, public and to help as many people as he can just fucking pull to no end. Yeah, and the wrestling business, obviously, the fans always help out, and the fans are a huge part. And now with social media – Albeit there might be a lot of bad parts of it now. Somebody like PJ can always turn to the fans if he wants a little bit of a, uh, a pat on the back or he wants to hear something good about himself. The fans can give him that instantly. And, John, I just Amen. want to bring you in here before we get into the wrap-up here. You know, we've seen PJ, you know, since about 2003, 2004. You've been really close with him. You know, you've traveled the roads with him. You've seen some ups. You've seen some downs. You know, what do you think about where he's going with this journey and how much he's improved even over the last year since, I mean, we've done some shows with him where there was, you know, not some good times, but recently, obviously, you know, everything seems to be trending in the right direction. But John, looking at, at your friend, PJ, you know, what do you think about this whole road to redemption? I love it. Very proud of him. Very happy for him. Uh, I just love that, um, 
you know, the, the guys wanted to do this film and it really kind of boosted his spirits and really got him in the right direction in the right way. Cause obviously if, if you've seen him in person, um, not that long ago, he was you know, a little bit, uh, not a little bit, but he was overweight. Obviously he was, he was out of shape. He was just, you know, he was depressed and, and now, you know, he lost about 55 pounds or so, almost 60 pounds. So he's looking great. He's looking slim. He still jokes that he's got a little bit of a, of a belly, but I mean, he looks way better than he did. I mean, he's looking great. Mentally, he's better. He's, he's constantly talking, like he mentioned, to uh, the road dog and constantly getting positive vibes from, from even, you know, some random wrestlers, uh, even a guy with three letters that were, uh, may be in charge of the WWE one day. I mean, he's getting a lot of good, positive stuff from from a lot of guys and i think it's great and i think it's great to hear from you as well shane because you're a guy i know personally that he's mentioned a lot of times that he looked up to because he wanted to be the next franchise well he certainly had the ability to do it and i think in many ways did do it uh uh after i left and and, and you know left ecw they they needed somebody to step into that that main event heel role and pj had all of that in spades to me. I mean, I, I felt very comfortable in leaving ECW because of, of PJ, that he, there was another guy here. But, have, again, having been down the same paths that PJ's been down, uh, I, I don't know as bad or, as, but, you know, similar uh, circumstances. I can tell you uh, the the hopelessness and the, uh, the uh, just the, the the crushing weight of uh, how down you are in yourself, and, and I've seen PJ in those situations. So to hear him in this same the same person talking about all these positive things going on in his life, and talking about you know I see on Twitter him posting and saying all you know all I can do today is look positive and this and that. And, you know, these positive over trends, as, as crazy and corny as that may sound to somebody that's not been through this, those tiny little things like that are the things that get you through an hour, through a day, through a week. Uh, and, and to hear him doing that and doing it so well and doing it with such eloquence and not to keep beating that word, uh, it, it really does warm my heart. Because, you know, in, in this business, you just get to a point where you begin to think it's only a matter of time before I hear about so-and-so or so-and-so or so-and-so. And to hear that PJ has now reached a point where he has seen the larger picture, it seems, uh, if he has a slip, don't, I would just please ask that, not, don't, ever, don't the world panic if he has a slip. That's very normal in this process. But support him as opposed to troll him for it. And, you know, just I, I think PJ's, you know, gotten to the point where he's beginning to realize there's a whole life ahead. And for, not just for me as his friend, but for me as his friend looking on as the father of three kids and a beautiful wife uh, at, at, at a relatively young age. To be able to look at that and say, we have an entire life ahead of us, uh, that to me is just stunning. Uh, it, it just it really is jaw-dropping to me. And uh, again, there are so many people out there right now 
that either are in this situation or know a loved one or some close friend or somebody that is in the same situation, please support them, urge them to get whatever help they can, push them to go with them to a meeting if you have to. Uh, But get them to walk on a different path because on the path they're on, if they're in the same situation that I was in, that PJ was in, and that so many of our brothers and sisters were in, uh, like the saying goes in the meetings, there's only one of three places, jails, institutions, or death. Uh, If you love that person like you say, if you believe you love them, then grab them by the throat if you have to but make them do something to break that cycle to get away from that jails, institutions, and death. PJ seems to be doing that in spades. Every day you see him online on Twitter posting something positive, send a positive reinforcement back to say how proud you are, whatever, because that really does, as, as, as mundane as it may sound to somebody sitting out there on, on the computer tomorrow, to PJ... Uh, to somebody going through that at that particular moment means the world to them. And to your friends, the same thing if they're in that situation. Give them that positive reinforcement uh, because as we've all seen, like I said in this interview earlier with PJ, we've all picked the newspapers up every single day and seen what a scourge this is. There's only one way this is going to go away. If we confront it directly, instead of turning our backs to it and sort of pretending it's not really going on, We've got to confront this, and there's so many of us that either are in that situation or know somebody in that situation. Let's kick the fucking shit out of this thing called a thing put behind us because it really is a scourge on the on the nation. Absolutely, and that's I think that's a good place to kind of cap this episode. This was uh, a lot of fun. This is very cool to bring on a guest on this show, which uh, we hadn't done for 40 episodes. So think about that. We've given 40 original weeks worth of discussion back and forth between the three of us, and it was so cool to add PJ in here, uh, somebody that we've all got history with, so that worked out perfectly. But you've also dodged the bullet, uh, Mr. Uh, Douglas, there, by having PJ be the first guest and not the, uh, the, maybe the exposer of some of the franchise's deepest, darkest secrets, as Francine is going to be waiting in the wings very, very soon. So well, we got through PJ for the first guest, but we're getting Francine soon to be maybe for the second guest. Well, I've got to say, as, as diligently as I've pushed for Francine to be on this show, and you guys have opposed me, I can seem to push for <laughs> Francine to be on this show. And, uh, you know, but you know, PJ with the documentary and everything, I think became more prescient. Uh, but look, I'm pushing hard for Francine to be on this show. I've got no skeletons to hide, but if you two, I don't know why you opposed me on this, to have her on the show. <laughs> what a heel. You're such a heel, you know, that you, uh, you just don't, you always find a way to, uh, to double, to double cross us. Huh? You always find a way. <laughs> me a well, heel. I've seen Tommy Dreamer do ten times as bad as me to get seared, and I get called a, a heel. I'm 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 a great guy because I pull a chain out you of my are. boot once in a while. I'm a bad guy. Jesus, I've seen Dreamer do ten times as bad. 
Well, you are a great guy as much as you want to be a heel. You are a great guy. And next week, uh, there's a couple things that uh, we definitely we can't wait to get to. There's something I've been dying to ask you about for over a week. And uh, we'll get to it next week. I'm going to add it to our rundown for next week. It's, uh, it should be a fun topic. I would love to uh, get your take on it, but I'm going to save it for next week's show. Uh, as far as this show goes, we're going to wrap up here. And like we always do, we like to give out a couple little plugs here. So if you want to contribute to our show... We didn't get to it this week because there wasn't any place to really fit it in, but if you want to send some questions in for the franchise, of course you can do that on our email, which is thetriplethreatpod at gmail.com. Again, it's thetriplethreatpod at gmail.com. You can also head on over to our website, which is tmptofwrestling.com. On there, you can access the Triple Threat Podcast page. You can get the direct link to the Pro Wrestling T-shirt store to pick up your Triple Threat Podcast. T-shirts as well as fine YouTube clips and the Potomatic downloads for this episode, as well as get this episode on all the places you get your podcasts, like iHeartRadio and Spotify and Player FM and Podbean and all the great outlets that carry podcasts in this day and age. And I had it on our run sheet, but we're getting even closer to those million views on YouTube. We're at 975,000 views. So in, in three weeks, we've gone up 75,000. And uh, the franchise's response to uh, Mr. Callahan's tweet, again, another very popular uh, upload in the past week with a lot of interesting uh, fan interaction. So uh, the, the beat goes on when it comes to that. And if you want to correspond with us via Twitter, please, it's at the franchise SD and at Two Man Power Trip on Twitter. There's so much going on. We've got TMPTCon coming up in May. You can get all the info on TMPTofWrestling.com for that as well. Now, Shane, you had a weekend off this past weekend, but what do you have coming on in the world of the franchise this coming weekend? Well, this coming weekend, we've got a big weekend down in uh, North Carolina. Uh, the Ivan Koloff Classic uh, been uh, signed on to this for, uh, since the last one, and Looking forward to it because, you know, the, the Ivan, Uncle Ivan, as I called him, uh, was a, uh, a mentor to me and a, and, a, and a good friend and somebody that taught me an awful lot about the business. So going to be down in North Carolina this weekend uh, for Friday and Saturday and looking forward to seeing the fans then. It's been about uh, seven, eight months since I've been down that direction, so I'm looking forward to that. And... Uh, uh, beyond that, after having this last weekend off of my kids, I'm um, ready to get back to work and take care of business. That's uh, that's really cool. I'm glad you had a weekend off, and now we're going to get back into franchise mode, and we'll hear all about the uh, the Ivan Koloff uh, event this coming uh, next week for, uh, for episode number 41. If you go by uh, baseball numbers, next week will be Tom Seaver. So I like to uh, always kind of think about <laughs> the baseball the baseball side of things. But, Shane, a hell of an episode, a lot of fun. Please do what you do best. Take us out only the way the franchise can as we move forward into yet another great episode of the Triple Threat Podcast. Episode four to the first time we've had a live guest on, my good friend Justin Incredible, Peter Polacco, PJ, as I call him. It's a great, great time to be here, to be following the Triple Threat Podcast because this is the only place you're going to be able to hear these kind of things. And if moving forward... Next week, who knows what you're going to hear about news, politics, wrestling, all the rest of it. But, PJ, my good friend was on here this weekend. Heartwarming story for all of us tonight. Reach out to a friend that needs help tonight. 
make sure you help them do that because if you don't, you're liable to get your ass franchised. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.